0: Just want to uh, remind anybody that uh, if you consider yourself a newcomer, um, if you've not basically gone through our newcomer's orientation before, Pastor Ken is doing that in room two, which is just around the corner there, if there's anybody in that category. Also keep in mind that Wednesday night, if you weren't here in first hour, Wednesday night is when our midweek ministries start back up, programs for nursery all the way through seniors, and we're looking forward to getting that started a week later than anticipated, but God's plans are perfect. We're going to be thinking a little bit out loud today about the mission, Um, and please don't let that scare you or lull you into sleep. I hope that this is going to be uh, something that is applicable to everybody in this room. Uh, This is, in a lot of ways, a summary of what God has taught me and Elena, our family, uh, through the last almost eight years that we've been here at Community. We started in, uh, we got married in June, June 30th, 2007. And by mid-July, we had found Community, moved up to Michigan. Um, I was already here, had started at seminary uh, uh, six months before then. But um, we found Community. Our connection here was Jim Pantelli, I did not know anyone else here. I was new to the area. I'd been going to inner city by default for a few months, um, and then knew Jim and really liked his character, his personality. Asked him where he went to church, and he said, "Oh, you know, it's a relatively new church plant. We're meeting at a school," and he gave me a, an address way southwest ever I'd ever been before. So we went out to what was the summit. Summit Academy was the first uh, place that we went that CBC was meeting at that point. Community Baptist Church back then, for those of you who are relative newcomers. We're still a Baptist church, we just don't call ourselves that anymore. We hide it. <laughs> but we were very happy to see what God was doing there, and we had come from a slightly different church background, as some of you may have uh, more of an old-school fundamentalist church. And so some of the things that community did were, honestly, a, a little bit scary to us back then. It's hard to think of now. But back then, we were we were in, interested, we were encouraged, and we came in on the very first Sunday of one of pastors' newcomers' orientation. Yes, he did that even then. He's been doing that for... The whole length that the church has been around, at least has been uh, established as far as I understand. And being at week one of that newcomer's orientation, which back then was three weeks, now it's four, gave us an opportunity to see the vision that CBC had back then. Remember, they were meeting in a middle school. I think some, it's a middle school. They were meeting at a school and they went as we served and worshipped first of all, joined, that church shifted east and east. And finally the Lord gave us this property, dropped it into our laps a couple of years ago, and now the church is starting to grow numerically, spiritually. The amount of ministries that CBC is doing, reaching out into the community at large is exciting. Pastor Ken has talked about some of the things that's going to be happening And yet, it seems like this is the opportunity that the Lord has called for our family to leave. Many of you know that already. I don't have anything immediate to announce. I'm in negotiation with a couple of job opportunities. But our goal for our family, and I think as we're going to see, the mission for every family in this church needs to be to pursue God's glory here or elsewhere. And part of what we're going to be doing is seeking out a like-minded church that has a philosophy very similar to CBC. I've been in contact with a few already. And joining them and helping to plant and, and spread the philosophy here, which we're going to talk about a little bit, to other churches, to encourage other believers. Maybe God has a church where we're going to be needed even more than we are here. So that is something that I would encourage uh, you to pray with us about as we're in the last few weeks here of negotiating and figuring out what God's plans are for us. We're not being driven out. We're leaving voluntarily. But we do feel like this is God's timing for us and that we're going to be aggressively pursuing that fresh start here in the next month or two. So, what I would like to talk to you today is a compilation of the things that God has poured into my heart and mind over the last almost eight years. Can I fit it into 35 minutes? We'll see. Basically, ladies and gentlemen, the mission of Jesus Christ is the most important thing to me. I hope it is to you as well. And I want to help you define that and understand that and identify with that. And so I'm going to talk about the mission that God has for us in what I would probably consider are the three major venues of life. Family, work, and church. Family, work, and church. Think of the mission as a circle. And your family, your workplace, your church... Other things like your neighbors, your schooling, if you're still a student, all of those things are included in the mission. We don't ever have the luxury to say, well, that part of my life is outside the mission. That part isn't something that really is under the authority of Jesus. I don't really pursue discipleship in this area. We don't have that option. We're bought and paid for, and we are owned by a new master, body, soul, and spirit. And so this morning, let's think, first of all, of what the mission looks like in your family. What the mission looks like in your family. This is something the Lord has really been working on me and Lena about. We're not perfect parents. We're not perfect spouses. We have a lot of learning to do. But these are some of the things that I have grown in my understanding here at CBC about family and about the mission through your family. If you want to take a few notes, you can. Other than that, just listen. I hope this sinks into your hearts as it has sunk into mine. First of all, be deliberate in protecting your marriage. Don't take it for granted. Be deliberate in protecting your marriage. I have seen too many marriages fail in the last eight years. In our church... In my circle of influence outside the church, I've seen too many husbands and wives grow alienated from each other. I've seen too many of them look for fulfillment outside of their spouse. It happens all the time. I'm not involved in counseling anybody at our church, so I'm not talking to anyone in particular but I'm sure there are marriages in this room right now that are threadbare, that are struggling. Friends, please don't take your marriage for granted. If you're unmarried now, as some of you are, don't just assume that if you find the right person, everything will work out fine. You need to fight for your marriage. You need to be on the same page with your spouse, particularly regarding the mission. Have conversations with your fiancé, with your boyfriend, girlfriend, with your spouse about what God is going to be doing in your family in the coming years. One example that came to mind as I was thinking about this, uh, I think it wasn't even this last summer, it was summer of uh, 2013. Elena and I put the kids to bed for a nap, which is about the only time you ever get anything done, especially if you have Liberty Grace as one of your kids. She's high maintenance. But anyway, we had gotten them both down for a nap, and we went out, and we're going to do some landscaping outside. You remember this? And we we figured, okay, we have got an hour or two. Let's make the most of it. But we didn't. (laughs) We didn't. We ended up sitting on those wood railroad ties that were supposed to form a strawberry garden. We ended up sitting on those and talking for an hour at least about where we were headed and what God was going to do through us and what he was doing in us. You may need to carve out a weekend retreat with your spouse to talk through some big, important issues. Or you may need to just be flexible and in the moment, put something on for the kids, get a last-second babysitter and just take the moment, seize the moment and talk through some important things about what God is doing in your family with your spouse. Men, as the leader of the home, and I'll speak to you because I am one of you, we need, to s- we need to step up to the plate. Tigers are going to be headed to Florida in a few weeks for opening spring training. Can you imagine if, if one of those players passed on batting practice? Passed on instruction from the hitting coach. Eh, I'm good. I hit fine last year. I don't. You know, I'm just going to sit out. I'm just going to go back to Puerto Rico for for the rest of all the spring games. I'm going to go back to Michigan. I'm good. Just call me when the season starts. Men, you have got to be prepared to lead your family. You have got to be prepared to set a vision for your family, of what God is going to do for us. Something that unifies your family together. As Casting Crown sings, it's time for us to more than just survive. It's time for us to thrive. We were made to thrive. And men, married or not, take the time to think through how your family can move forward in love for each other, in love for the God who brought us together. And that starts, that mission, it starts with tight, committed marriages that are reflecting the relationship that Jesus has with his glorious church all throughout our community. We need those marriages. It's a challenge to all of us. That is one way to live out the mission, is through your marriage. Sadly, though, our culture assumes that marriage is optional, disposable. If you meet somebody new, one of the questions you're going to be asked is, do you have kids? Not necessarily, are you married? Maybe even before what you do, it's, do you have kids? Because as... Writer and pastor Kevin DeYoung has put it, "We are right now, in 21st century America, part of a kindergarchy, ruled by kids. You don't believe it? Go into babies are us. Go into toys are us. See the amount of time and money and passion that people pour into their children at the expense of all else. Nothing else matters but the children. But if you're married and you have kids, it is not your children first and your marriage second. It is not your children first, second, and third, and then maybe church next. God didn't call us only to one role as part of our mission. And so one of the things that God has helped me to see is that God, children are part of our mission, a huge part of our mission, but they're not our entire mission. God lends us our children for a time. And he does so not so that we can craft them into our own image, but so that we can set them on a path to grow into Christ's likeness. I said that a couple years ago in a message Jesus didn't give us our kids so they'd look like you. That they would mirror your tastes, your preferences, your style. He gave them so they would mirror himself. And it's your job to help them in that pursuit. Whether they're 2 or 42. One of my friends asked the question many years ago. He said, are we... As parents, what's our goal in raising our kids? Do you want a feeble little houseplant, sheltered from all the world, kept safe from everything that might threaten it, no awkwardness, no problems, a safe little pale houseplant? Or do you want to raise an oak? Do you want to raise a tree that reaches out into the community, that makes a difference for Christ? And that's a question I ask myself. Am I raising a house plant or an oak? Psalm 127, 3 through 5 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Children are like arrows. And you know, the intended purpose for arrows, right? You polish them. You put them around your house to accentuate your household decor, right? That's what you do with arrows. You hang them above the fireplace. No. You shoot arrows. Arrows out. You shoot them out into the fray of life. Yes, you prepare them. You craft them. But then you pull them back and you let them go because they have a mission, just like you have a mission. Children are not items to craft in our likeness, hang around our house, and make us feel better when people say, oh, how nice your kids are. Children are something to shoot out into this world, prepared to serve Jesus Christ. At the men's retreat a couple of years ago, this is another thing that has stuck out to me. Some of you may, have, may remember that. The speaker talked about, and I can't believe this, had escaped me for so many years. He said, Men, we need to love our children the way that God, our Heavenly Father, loves us. God doesn't compromise His holiness but he is always patient. He is always loving. And as a father, that is a struggle for me, to be patient, to be loving. It's easy for me sometimes to come down hard, but I have to remember that's not how God is with me. That's not how the Father of lights, who delights in giving good things to me, treats me, one of his children. And so part of my mission and part of your mission with our children is, no, we don't compromise God's word. We don't say, well, you know what, the the biblical sexual ethic, I may have misunderstood that. My kids and and their friends, they're all talking about something different and they seem to have a different understanding of what marriage is. You know, maybe I need to reinvent or rethink what what I used to think about that. We don't compromise God's word. But we're always patient. We're always loving. We're understanding that that five-year-old or that 25-year-old is not... we're, We're expecting something out of them, perhaps, that we weren't even there when we were their age. We need to be patient all the time. And let me also say this. Remember that your commitment, your family commitment to church now sets the tempo for how your children are going to view church in the future. It sets the tempo in their hearts for what church is. Is church something we do once a week? We go, we fulfill our obligation, get there as late as we can, leave as early as we can, you setting that tempo in their hearts of non-participation, of saying that this is just an obligation, check it off your list. Are you setting a fire in their hearts for the people of God? Are you showing them what it is like to love, to show hospitality for others, to encourage each other, to bear one another's burdens? That is the way to set that tempo, beating in that child's heart. And yes, their relationship with God is between them and God, but you can help by setting that and encouraging them. Church is not just something we do. Church is who we are. We are the people of God. You can help your family's mission right now. The church, another big arena. The church some of the things that God has taught us about church. Wow, I could, I could write a book. Maybe I will someday, honestly. But for now, let me try and just hit a few things that really have changed in my heart and mind over the years as we've grown into the ministry here at CBC, as we've been poured into by men like Pastor Ken and Matt Owen men who showed me what it meant to serve the flock, and other men like Rich Carrico and Cliff Banks and Larry Castle and Ron Biggs, faithful men who over the years encouraged me, guided me, and helped me see what God intends to do through his church. So first of all, let me say this. I am convinced that Church needs to be multi-generational. And we have that here at CBC. But that's not always the norm. If you went to a brand new city and tried a church, in many churches, you're going to find a bifurcation of age. You're going to find that, and a lot of times, frankly, it follows the music style, which we'll talk about in a minute. But you'll find the people in their 50s and up are attending one type of church and the people in their 40s and down are attending another type of church and something that God has weighed on my heart is that that is so dangerous when you have a church that is all older people or all younger people younger people need the younger people bring energy and enthusiasm they bring the opportunity to do ministries, perhaps, that the seniors could not do. But the seniors, the older people, and you maybe you don't want to be lumped in as a senior, that's fine. But the people who perhaps have adult children, I'll, I'll say that line. If you have adult children, you're probably in that, in that block of life. You provide a wisdom and a maturity that people my age just don't have innately something that we need to be injected into us, that we need to be soaked in, the wise counsel of Christians who have walked with the Lord for decades, who have seen church, who have been a part of church for many years, and have seen ministries wax and wane. We need older people in our churches, and older people need younger people. I'm convinced that every member of CBC, of every church that's following in the gospel and teaching the gospel, every member is uniquely gifted and experienced to serve a role at that church. Dana Engel, there is a hole at CBC that looks just like you. Mallory Fisher, there's a hole at CBC that looks like you. No one else can do what you do. Jim Mater, there's a hole at CBC that nobody else can fill. Are you filling it? There are people here who need you. There are people here that you need. Follow the mission together. Join hands. Rise up. Serve Christ alongside each other. Take it seriously. Being gospel centered as we would term our church, it doesn't just mean that we present the plan of salvation every week, although Pastor does that. It means that in every ministry of CBC, and I hope, to, again, to carry this wherever I go in the future, our goal is to bring people to Christ, to show them, to show Him to them. Maybe that's for the first time, Maybe it's a Christian who needs to look again at the cross and be motivated in their walk with the Lord. So in every level of teaching, from toddlers to seniors, we're not just presenting a message of how to follow this checklist so that God will like you. We're not showing off the heroes of the Bible and saying, look what they achieved in their own strength. This this message... Kindergartners is about Daniel. Be good like Daniel. Nope. It's about following Christ. It's about seeing what he did, how he is the hero of his story. And we demonstrate in our teaching, in our speaking with others, we demonstrate that pattern that, that the Bible gives over and over and over again. Of brokenness, whether brokenness that other people did to us or that we ourselves caused as a result of our sin. And then of redemption, as God swoops in and with his arms of love shows us that there is a better path forward, that he has redeemed us, he has bought us, he is doing something grand in us. Brokenness, redemption, and then the reconciliation the restoration of moving forward in joy. Yes, we have scars, but we are pursuing the gospel every day. Hopefully you're speaking it to yourself and to your loved ones and to your friends here at church on a regular basis. It doesn't mean that we don't pursue holiness. Far from it. It motivates us. It energizes us in that pursuit because we know that God has begun a great work in us and he will continue it forward to the day of completion in Christ. You are in that journey. I am in that journey and we can help others as well in that journey. And then a note about music. If you've been here for a while, you've noticed we don't have a lot of special music at our church. It's not because we don't have talented musicians. It's not because we lost our track, you know, for the tape plate. It's because we have intentionally decided as a body that congregational singing is the life of the church. That's where we speak truth to ourselves and to one another. That is your job, friend. It's my job. Sing out with a whole heart. You may know some songs better than others. You may like some songs better than others. But honestly, corporate singing is a great opportunity for you to practice that tolerance of checking your preferences for the good of the body. Maybe you wish the music was a little bit more, a little bit less if it's singing the gospel, if it's singing the truths of God's word, if it's encouraging your brothers and sisters, you might need to check your preferences a little bit. In the spirit of 1 Corinthians 8-10, through it's very rare that you're going to find a church that sings every song it's your favorite, that the style is exactly what you want. Probably you're going to be in a church, CBC or elsewhere, where it's not exactly what you were hoping or you didn't like that song as much, or, oh, I wish they would sing this song, and it's just not in the rotation. It's not about our preferences. It's about encouraging one another, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, not just speaking to yourself. It's a corporate activity. So family and church, and also work. Many, most of us are in the workplace. Perhaps you're a student, Our job, our position as a student, it's what we do, but it's not who we are. It's what we do, but it's not who we are. It is very tempting to identify ourselves with a number of things, as we're going to see in a couple minutes, to identify ourselves with, well, I'm a student right now, I'm I'm in marketing. I'm a carpenter. I'm a housewife. That's a role for us, but it's not our identity because the mission includes that role, but it's bigger than that. It's brighter and more glorious even than just what you're doing 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, or many many more hours as I know some of you work. Our job is part of that mission. We have to speak the gospel to our coworkers. We have to live the gospel to our coworkers. We can't just speak it or just live it. Does that make sense? Because the danger is, and I've seen this with myself and with other Christians in the workplace, some Christians think, I just need to live it. I don't need to talk about Jesus. I don't need to talk about my beliefs. I just need to live it and tell them, no, I'm not going to go out after work with you. No, I'm not going to cut corners on that report. And, we, and that's going to be enough. Or the alternative is the person who you may have worked with in the past, I hope it's not one of you, who loudly claims to be a Christian, but then complains and backstabs and lies. They're a miserable person. No one wants to be around them. And yet they're proudly Christian. Let everybody know it. We have to speak the gospel and live the gospel at our workplace. I could spend an, uh, an entire message or messages on that, but I hope that's something a balance that you're striving for in your job and then turn to Colossians three, if you will, Colossians three as we went through men's fraternity a couple of years ago um, the uh, the cover the section covering workplace um, made an impact on me, and i've I couldn't believe that I hadn't really applied these verses to my own life, to my own work. Look at Colossians 3, 22 through 24. Slaves, servants, slaves, anyone who's down the totem pole of authority at work, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart. And reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Boy, I tell you, those words hit me like a ton of bricks. There's similar verses in Ephesians as well that say much the same thing. Our ultimate boss is not the one standing over our shoulder at work. It's not the one that we're going to give an answer to at the end of our shift or at the end of our career. Our boss is the Lord Jesus. He is the one that you're serving at work. And that's both a privilege and a terror, isn't it? Knowing that Jesus cares about what I do at work, that reflects on him. Wow. Wow. Sobering. The thing, person, or idea that defines you is also the thing, person, or idea that drives you. The thing, person, or idea that defines you, that you view as your identity, is also going to be the thing, person, or idea that drives you, that motivates you. If you see your identity, for example, primarily as a mom, then your passion and your energy is going to be aimed mostly at your children. It's a good thing. But what about the other tasks God may have for you as part of your customized mission? Such as staying in touch with your lonely mother. Sorry, mom. You know, the kids, I I just don't have any time for you taking the time to have a deep conversation with a neighbor, your next-door neighbor, bring something up, and you know there's laundry to do. You know that if you took the time for that conversation, dinner would be delayed. What do you do? What about encouraging your husband through a difficult stretch at work? Husbands, wives, again. Take your marriages seriously. Or what about taking a regular shift in the church nursery so that you can watch other people's kids? It's not exactly your mission to your own children, but it may be part of God's mission for you is to help with other people's children. What I'm saying is that it, it can be dangerous to just identify so deeply with only one aspect of our mission, okay? It's not that those are not good things. Frankly, it's when good things get out of alignment, out of proportion, that they become idols. You may not even think that you are restricting the mission. You may just think, I'm just pursuing this. I'm, you know, I've, I've got to work. I've got to provide for my family. I, I've, I've got to take care of this. But if people know us for just one big thing, if that's what we're passionate about, if I asked you... What do people know you for? Or ask your friends, coworkers, family members, what are they really passionate about? If it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ and his mission for that gospel to move forward through churches all over the world, we probably need a course correction. So be careful that you're not letting those otherwise good things warp your identity. Knock you off course. It's not wrong, for example, to care about what's happening in the GOP. To be politically active. But is that really the hat that you want to wear to the world? I'm a political junkie. That's who I am. That's what's important to me. What about being a foodie? God gave us food and drink to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with that. He made us creative beings. But we also know, as the Bible says, the kingdom of God is a lot more than just food or drink. Those things have only a temporary fleeting value. Even labeling myself a family man, wow, that's a good thing, right? Works hard, then comes home and he loves his family. Even that could potentially be just a way of covering for other weaknesses in our life. Particularly, I don't really have much energy much time, much enthusiasm for the church. Or it's just part of my family. My extended family, I don't care about. It's only my family, my wife and the kids. That's all that matters. We're restricting the mission that God has for us. It's not that the Lord wants us to eliminate every activity, every interest, every relationship to the point where you're just a robot mechanically spitting out a gospel track as people walk by. It's that God has given you your interests. He's given you your abilities. He's put those people into your life. You're a foodie? Use it in the service of the kingdom. Use it to bring people into your home or to make meals for those who are in need. You're a family man? Lead them to Jesus. You love spending time with your kids and your wife? Great. Do it with the purpose of shepherding them to Christ as you yourself are on that path. You enjoy politics and current issues? Great. God's given you that keen mind to process those issues. So survey the landscape. Learn what is happening in the culture so that you can be better educated, better informed on piercing through the darkness of night with the light of the gospel for those that you come into contact with. Turn to Ephesians 2. We'll close there. Ephesians 2. We are all in this together. What enables us as very different individuals to join hands and hearts in the pursuit of a mission that is simultaneously small enough enough for us each to share in but bigger than any one of us can bear alone. What brings us together and joins us in that pursuit? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, He himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law, with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself In himself, in the Lord Jesus who died on that cross. He wasn't just dying for your sins. He wasn't just killing death. He was creating something as well. He created in himself one new man out of the two, making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Look at verse 19. Consequently, I get to be a stone. You get to be a stone in that magnificent, ever-building edifice that God is doing through the ages. Friends, your mission doesn't look the same as mine, but at its core, it is the same. The sphere of influence that God has granted to you is different than the one He has granted to me. And yet, we're all called to rise and to join together and rise, as that verse said. To follow Jesus, to help and encourage others to follow him as well. The best place to carry that out, to be equipped for that task, is at the local church. If you hadn't guessed it yet, I believe in the church deeply. I believe that the New Testament clearly states that no matter how flawed local churches are, that they are the vehicle that God is using to advance His glory today. And I believe that the church is a collection of stones. Some smoother, some rougher. But we are stones that God is building together to create something magnificent. You can be a part of that. I can be a part of that. Our mission is is something that the Lord is using through us and in us. As Jesus captures hearts all throughout Trenton, throughout your circle of influence, as he sets people on a path to grow into Christ-likeness, in obedience to the blessed word of God, and by the power of the Spirit of God, that's something that we can help with. That's a journey that we ourselves are on. That's the mission of CBC. It's the mission of the Hamilton family. I don't want my God-given identity to be less than what He wants it to be. He has equipped you and me. He is equipping us even now, in this moment, to carry out that mission. It's neither too small for our attention nor too big where it would crush us. We're in this together, and in the spheres of your life, family, church, the workplace, rely on God's grace and rely on each other. That's my encouragement to you. It's the best I can do after eight years. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is a joyful and sobering task. And in our own strength, no matter how good our background, no matter how well we were raised, no matter how disciplined we think we are, Lord, we are insufficient. We are cracked clay pots. We ask ourselves, how can we, transmit the glory of God. But we are encouraged that you have a place for us, every single one of us. We need your grace. We need each other. And I pray that my brothers and sisters at CBC would carry on the marvelous work here, not for their own glory, not even just for the glory of the name of our church but Lord, so that you would receive the honor and that we would grow fitly framed together in our love and devotion to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.